0: I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. This is episode number one hundred. Here is to a hundred more episodes to come. I hope everyone had a good holiday weekend this past weekend celebrating Memorial Day. I spent the weekend catching up on a million chores that needed to be done around the house. And now that those are done, I'm starting to prep for the June twenty fourth Sasquatch Saturday event in Sykesville, Maryland. I'm also prepping the studio for its new construction window that's going in sometime this month. Also remember that we have a Patreon account for those of you looking for more episodes. You can subscribe for $5 a month and receive bonus episodes along with a couple of other items. If you're a Missing 411 fan, there is a bonus episode about kids being kidnapped by bears. And speaking of Missing 411, that is the topic for today. We're calling this the Scout Edition, though this is the second Scout Edition since we covered two Scouts who went missing in Utah in episode 88. I'm not sure how many we're going to be looking into today, at least two, and then we'll go from there. The first one up is the disappearance of Guy Howard Heckle on February 3rd, 1973. guy Heckel was 11 years old and a member of lynn county iowa's boy scout troop 101 he and his troop were going on a weekend camping trip at the kiwanis cabins along the cedar river near toddville iowa the weekend of february 3rd through 4th 1973. on the evening of february 3rd guy was out playing capture the flag with members of his troop Capture the flag as defined by wikipedia is a traditional outdoor game where two teams each have a flag, and the object is to capture the other team's flag, located at the team's base, and bring it safely back to their own base. Enemy players can be tagged by players in their home territory. These players are then, depending on the agreed-upon rules, out of the game, members of the opposite team, sent back to their own territory, frozen in place until freed by a member of their own team, or in jail one variation of the game includes a jail area in addition to the flag on each team's territory the game is often played at night where players might use flashlights glow sticks or lanterns as the flags i played all the time with my cousins and typically in the evening or at night is definitely better and we did play the jail version, where we had people in jail, and you could come in and do a jail break and break everybody out. Oh gosh, it was great fun. So the scouts were playing capture the flag in the growing darkness, and Guy was in the process of finding a spot to hide his team's flag. And that's when he disappeared. But no one noticed until 8 p.m. at bed check. The scouts and leaders immediately began searching the area, and after finding no sign of Guy after an hour and a half of searching, they finally called in the sheriff's department. This was about 9.30 p.m. Law enforcement arrived and searched until 2.30 a.m. Sunday, February 4th, then resumed again at 7.30 a.m. There were 500 searchers on Sunday. In addition to the 500 persons on foot, a helicopter, airplane, all-terrain vehicle, and horses were employed for the search. Searchers included law enforcement, individual volunteers, citizen band radio clubs, Boy Scouts of America troops, church groups, fire departments, and the Iowa electric employees. The area has many ravines, gullies, and backwaters, and there was some concern he could have fallen off a drop-off into the river. He'd been wearing a light blue nylon quilted parka, striped multicolored maroon jeans and boots. On Sunday, February 4th, a searcher found the boy's blue parka, still zipped at the bottom, snagged on a log along the river's east bank. Heckle's mother, Nancy Heckle, identified the coat as her son's. The search was called off once darkness fell and scheduled to resume the following day. On Monday, 250 searchers scoured the area, along with a bloodhound and a special search and rescue team from California. The Sierra Madre search and rescue team from California brought 13 experienced searchers in and were in charge of directing the search operations. They had been flown in by the Air Force. Though the weather was mild at the time of the campout, snow arrived shortly afterwards. Searchers were hampered by muddy grounds and rough terrain. Heavy equipment was brought in to chop up the thick ice on the backwaters so the Hawkeye Scuba Club could dive looking for Guy's body. They found nothing. Six members of a psychic rescue squad from St. Louis, Missouri joined the search. Yes, I said psychic rescue squad. Guy Heckel's family sent clothing and photos of him to the Psychic Research and Training Center, and hopes esp could locate guy the psychic group said they felt he was in a cave but they never found him they had joined the search at the request of guy's parents there was one promising lead that came in where a waitress in carlock illinois reported seeing a boy february 4th and 5th who matched guy's description the boy had told people that he had run away from his home in iowa but when investigators showed a photo of Guy to the waitress, she said it was not the same boy that she had seen. There was also a rumor that Guy was involved in some kind of initiation rite of passage type thing, but that too was ruled out. There were some other strange or interesting things that went on during the search for Guy Heckle. Guy's father felt that the local law enforcement was not thoroughly investigating leads about Guy's whereabouts. Guy's scoutmaster had told the Heckle family and others that the boy who had been Guy's cabin mate during the trip had experienced having someone shine a flashlight into his bedroom window three nights after the disappearance. Or three separate times after the disappearance. It was kind of vague exactly what three times meant. There was also a phone call received by the Heckle family mentioning Ransom, but the caller was vague. The caller had a male voice and said he knew where the boy was, but that it would cost the family money. The call was traced to a payphone in Cedar Rapids, and nothing else came of it. They also received a call where the caller asked where Guy was, then answered, That's for me to know and for you to find out. The only clue was the zipped blue Parka jacket. Guy's father never could understand how he could have gotten out of the parka without being unzipped. The Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigation was called in and sent an agent to look into the case, though they never found anything. On the evening, that guy heckle went missing. The moon was bright and the area was well well lit by the moonlight. In addition, lights from the Duane Arnold Energy Center across the river lit up the area as well, meaning there was no chance the guy couldn't see where the river was. The river is also shallow along the banks, and even if he managed to fall in, he would be able to easily get out on his own. There was a scout backpack that was found during the search, but that ended up being identified as one owned by a scout that had reported it missing years before. The operation leader of the Sierra Madre search and rescue team said the unit could give 99% assurance that Guy Heckel was not on the ground within the 12 square miles of their search area. Guy was described as an adventurous boy, but not one to ignore rules. School officials considered the boy a good student. The blue parka remains the only known trace of evidence ever found in Heckel's mysterious disappearance. According to Mike Mason, Guy Heckel's cousin, The family always thought there was more of a chance foul play was involved versus the drowning theory, particularly since the boy's body was never recovered. Heckle's disappearance also coincided with a number of 1970s media reports about Iowa Boy Scout leaders allegedly molesting troops in their care. A year after Guy's disappearance, a $5,000 reward was offered for information in his disappearance, but it was never claimed. For years, the Heckles had kept Guy's room the same as it was when he disappeared, but eventually turned it into a spare bedroom. They'd finally given away most of Guy's toys and clothing, but said they had kept a Boy Scout shirt similar to the one their son had been wearing when he disappeared. The couple had conducted their own search for Guy for more than a year after he went missing, and would go out after work each day and on weekends, sometimes searching with a boat. Nothing has ever been found. Our next case is that of Jared Negret, 12-year-old who went missing July 19, 1991. I'll warn you about this one. You might get pissed off about it a little, especially if you have any experience as a scout leader of some kind. You'll figure out what I mean. So on July 18, 1991, the El Monte Troop 538 was going on an overnight backpacking trip. There was one Scoutmaster and six boys attending, with Jared being one of the six. This was Jared's first big trip with the troop, and his mom said he was really excited to go. The plan was to hike to the summit of Mount San Gorgonio, or Old Grayback as it's known locally. Mount San Gorgonio is the highest peak in Southern California, standing at 11,500 feet. The hike is listed as an easy Class One hike, which basically means that summiting the mountain doesn't require the use of any climbing gear. There's just a trail straight up there, but that doesn't mean that it isn't a strenuous hike. On July 18th, the group stayed at Dry Lake, then began to head to the summit on the morning of July 19th. They left their packs at a new base camp about a mile from the lake. They hiked five miles along Sky High Trail, and Jared began lagging behind the group. Jared was described as five foot two inches tall and weighed about 150 pounds. His family joked that his preferred exercise was to shoot about five layups at the basketball hoop, then go inside for a snack. So he was physically not up to a strenuous hike. I don't necessarily mean that he couldn't do it. I just mean that it was going to take him longer to do it, because it would probably require more rest." Another group of hikers spotted Jared struggling behind and notified the scoutmaster at the summit. The hiker said he had been seen cutting shortcuts into the switchback on his way down the trail, and was told not to and to stay on the trail. A switchback, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, is to follow a zigzag course for ascent or descent. Typically, if you have steeper terrain, instead of going straight up, the trail zigzags up. This makes it easier to climb or descend, and it also slows erosion. So making shortcuts by ignoring the switchback is a big no-no. I've mentioned Leave No Trace before, and this would be totally out of line if you're following Leave No Trace. And Scouts should have some knowledge of Leave No Trace. I'm guessing Jared was probably a newer scout, this being his first major trip, so I'm not going to say that he should have known that at that point, but still, it's a big deal. It's also dangerous making shortcuts through switchbacks, especially in this area, because the terrain has a lot of loose, slippery rock and gravel. The scoutmaster, who was an experienced hiker, told the hiking group that he would pick up Jared on his way back down, and when he finally was able to descend to get Jared, Jared was gone. Another version said that the Scoutmaster had told Jared to wait on the trail for them, and they would come back and get him on the way back down, and left him there alone. As soon as the leader discovered Jared was missing... He accompanied the other scouts back to the base camp, then hiked five miles in the dark to get help. More than 2,000 searchers were involved in looking for Jared in a 130-square-mile area. The searchers included 40 search-and-rescue teams from six counties who put in a total of 40,000 hours of searching. Helicopters, ATVs, dog tracking units, and infrared technology were all used. The search lasted 16 days and cost $500,000. During the search, a number of things were found. They did find footprints that matched the footprint of Jared's shoe and used that to help pinpoint a search area. The trail they picked up indicated that Jared was headed down, which also coincided with what the group of hikers had mentioned. They also found a pack and some beef jerky and candy wrappers. And eventually Jared's camera was found there were about a dozen photos on it most of those were landscape photos but the very last photo was taken at night and it showed Jared's nose and eyes basically in the days before selfies he was taking a selfie he had turned the camera around roughly aimed it at his face and only caught the top part it was said that the area was full of loose rocks slippery slopes ravines and areas of thick vegetation but if you're staying on trail you should be fine and have no problem at the time of his disappearance he was wearing his khaki scout uniform shirt and green uniform pants with high top pro wing sneakers he also carried a two-quart water canteen there was a water bottle found and the search focused in that area until it was determined that it didn't belong to Jared. Jared's mom was involved in part of the search, calling out for him over a loudspeaker from a helicopter flying above. By August 5th, the chance he would be found alive was zero. One of the parents of one of the scouts on the trip mentioned that there was a race and that that was when Jared had been left behind. Somebody said, let's race to the top, and they all took off and Jared was left. Logan Clark, private investigator, claimed he had leads that indicated Jared was abducted, but Jared's parents discounted those claims. I never was able to find out what those leads were or if there were ever actually any leads at all. There were a lot of ideas about what happened. Some people said he might have stumbled onto a marijuana grow operation and met with foul play. Animal attack was basically ruled out. Bear scat found in the area contained no human remains, and there were no signs of any kind of struggle. In case you're wondering, the scoutmaster, who had been involved in scouting for 15 years, though had only been this troop's leader for five months, did not follow certain rules. One major rule that he ignored is the too-deep leadership. I wasn't sure if this was a rule back then, but it turns out that it was, and not following it, it's a pretty big deal. It basically means that on any outing or meeting, there must be two adults with the kids at all times. One of those adults needs to be a registered leader, and the other one, based back in the 90s, could be another adult age 21 or older. And at no time is one of those adults allowed to go off with the scouts without the other person with them. Nowadays, the rules are even stricter, with both the adults required to be registered leaders within the Boy Scouts of America. The other thing is that he ignored the slowest hiker sets the pace rule. In a group of scouts, you only go as fast as your slowest hiker. That way, everyone is together and no one is left behind. And you sure as hell don't intentionally leave a scout on a trail alone. I've done a couple of backpacking trips with scouts. On both, I was the slowest hiker, which is not a surprise. Scouts were allowed to go ahead, but they needed to be within a certain distance. They had to be in sight. They knew to look back and check, and the leaders made sure to call them back in the event they got too far ahead. I haven't lost one yet. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, there are bonus episodes on the Lurk Patreon that you can access for just $5 per month. And I think we're going to be adding some behind-the-scenes footage as well in the future. So be sure to check that out. You can find Lurk wherever you find your other favorite podcast, and at lurkpodcast.com, where you can also find links to our socials along with a link to this Patreon account. Don't forget, June 24th is coming up fast. That's the Sasquatch Saturday in Sykesville, Maryland. I believe the time is 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. If you're in the area, make sure you stop by. Also, August 26th is the Reynoldsville, Pennsylvania Bigfoot and Paranormal Expo. And September 30th is the Whitehall, New York Bigfoot Festival. Mark your calendars and stop on by if you can. And until next time, keep lurking.